Good morning, everyone. Uh, I want to take a moment just as we start to remind you about the opportunity that we have uh, each Sunday that we gather together to give in our offering. And so we have uh, options available for those who'd like to give in-house at our info counter, as well as giving online at eastsidecitychurch.ca so that you can continue to support what we're doing here this summer uh, in amazing events like our Stampede Breakfast, in reaching our community, in supporting our missionaries around the world. And so we're just so glad that you are so generous in partnering with us. Well, I have a question for you. Uh, I want you to imagine or consider, imagine if I handed you a basketball and then asked you to play basketball like Michael Jordan. Or imagine if I took you to the art museum and I showed you all the beautiful paintings, the works by masters of the form. And then I said, "Uh, create me a painting like one of these. Or if I played you music by Celine Dion or Mariah Carey, and then I said, could you sing like that? You can't. I can't. And that's part of the problem that uh, William Temple identifies. He was an English Anglican priest, and he said this. He said, it's no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it. I can't. And it's no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it. I can't. And the problem for us who are here as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is that we are to be like him. We are to follow his example. To be a Christian is to be a little Christ, a little anointed one. We're following in the footsteps of our master, Jesus. And yet it can feel impossible. It can feel so challenging for us to live as Jesus lived. When we look at his life, when we look at what he did and what he accomplished, how can I ever live like him? How can we have the same motives and the same attitudes and live the same lifestyle that Jesus did? And I want to go back to this quote and look at the rest of what William Temple had to say. He said, but if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, well, then I could write plays like his. And if the spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, then I could live a life like his. Well, John Stott quoted William Temple in his book on discipleship. And then in that section, he summarized it uh, with this quote. John Stott said, God's purpose is to make us like Christ. And God's way is to fill us with his Holy Spirit. And ultimately, that is what our summer series is all about, about how God has filled us with his Holy Spirit to make us more and more like Jesus. And so Paul, one of the leaders in the first century church, he wrote to the church, to Christians in Galatia, and he encouraged them to live a life of love, to live a life in the spirit. 
And I want to look at uh, Galatians chapter 5. And this, is, this passage is going to be uh, what we're going to use as we go through the rest of the summer together. That it's all going to come from this passage. And it starts in verse 16. It's the foundation of our series. Uh, and in Galatians chapter 5 verse 16, it says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Paul presents two ways of living. That we can be led, we can follow our sinful desires, or we can be directed by the Holy Spirit. And these two ways of living are, oppose each other. They fight against each other. They head in opposite directions. But it's not enough for us just to point out these two available options. And then to say, well, just walk the good road. Well, just be loving and just be joyful and just have peace and just be good and be faithful and just just do all of these things. Jesus could do it, but I can't. But Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit. And now with his spirit filling us, Now we have the Holy Spirit producing these good things inside of us. And so now it's the Holy Spirit who guides our lives. That was verse 16. And it's the Holy Spirit who gives us good desires. That's verse 17. The Holy Spirit directs us. Verse 18. And the Holy Spirit produces good results, good fruit in our lives. That was verse 22 and 23. So the Holy Spirit produces the motives, the attitudes, the lifestyle of Jesus within us. And so our focus in this series is going to be on the fruit that the Holy Spirit 
produces in us. And so each week we're going to focus on a different aspect of this fruit. And I I just want to quickly point out that in the original language and in English, uh, it's singular. It's not plural. So it's the fruit. It's not the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And that's important for us to understand because it's not like I grow love and you grow peace. But it's more like we all grow oranges. And the different segments of an orange are the different aspects of the fruit that the Holy Spirit is producing in us. He's producing all of this fruit in us together. And so today, we're going to start by focusing on the aspect of love and how the Holy Spirit is producing love in us. And so to do that, we're going to look at 1 John chapter 4, as we're going to focus today on love. And if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to join me in 1 John chapter 4. We're able to put one uh, verse at a time up on the screen, but I, I think there's something really valuable about us being able to see all these verses and how they work together in 1 John chapter 4. And as you're turning there, I want you to consider where does love come from? There's something mysterious about love, who we fall in love with. Uh, So there's a bit of a mystery to love. Where does love come from? Does it come from our hearts, or does it come from our head? Now, for the Christian, uh, we would say that love comes from God. But if you are a secular person or an irreligious person, where does love come from? There are some who would say that love is a product of evolutionary biology, And so is love just a psychic phosphorescence arising from the behavior of your genes? Is love just a release of hormones and chemicals in our brains? Or is love something more? Do we love others because our ancestors discovered that it's a trait that's good for the survival of communities? There are some who would say that that's where loving others originates from. If you're a new mother and you look at your baby, do you think my body is producing a cocktail of hormones to form attachment between us for our mutual benefit and for your survival? (laughs) No. Well, maybe at 2 a.m. with a cranky baby, you might actually be thinking that for a few moments. But try telling a new mother that the science says that the reason they love their baby is because of hormones and see how that goes for you. (laughs) When you first fell in love and you sat across the table from that person and you gazed into their eyes, did you simply see a fertile mate who would help you pass on your genes for the propagation of your species? No, you loved them. Love transcends. Love is more than just biological. Love is spiritual. And in 1 John chapter 4, John, one of Jesus' disciples, who is now an old man, writes to believers and speaks to the origin and the source of love. And we're going to look at this. 1 John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 7 where John, this 
aged disciple of Jesus, he writes to believers and he says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. And so the origin and source of love is God. And so what are the implications of this? If love comes from God, if love is because of God, then we can know that we are created by a loving God. We can know that love is preexistent, that love was around before us. Because God is love. And so God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, this triune God, one God in three distinct persons, loving each other in this beautiful relationship of love that existed before us because God is love. And then God made us out of this. And so we need to consider the philosophical and the theological implications of what this means. That it's not that God didn't know love and then he created us and now he knows love. But God loved the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, loving each other. This triune God of love who then made us and created us because of love. That we can know how loved we are. That God is love. It, he is the originator. He is the source of love. And loving others gives the evidence that we have been born of God. That we are children of God. We're the children of a loving God. And so we love each other. Verse 9 says, God showed how much he loved us. By sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. God proved his love for us by sending Jesus. And so we see that love is given Love is not something that we keep for ourselves. Love is given away because God gave us his son. We see that love is sacrificial because he sent his son to die to save us for our sins. And so we see love comes from God. Love is to be given. Love is sacrificial. And what if real love had less to do with how much you loved God and it is far more about how much God loves you. You know, I picture myself with a little blue sand pail. And I, I pour into that sand pail all of my love and all of my devotion. And I, I love the Lord with all my heart and all my mind and all my strength and everything that's in me. And so I fill up this little blue sand pail with water that represents all of my love for God. And I bring that to God and I say, here is all my love. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in, do I love God enough? Does he have all my love? God, is this enough that I have to bring to you? And then I picture myself standing at the edge of the ocean. And here's my little blue pail of love. 
And here is God's love, the ocean of love. To consider the height, the depth, the width, the breadth of God's love for us. What if true love was more about this ocean of love that God has for you more than even the little Lusanne pale of love that you have for him? This is true love. Continues in verse 11. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, that he gave his son, that he gave his son as a sacrifice to save us from our sins, that he has this ocean of love that he has for us. Since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. And so if God is the origin and source of love, and if God proved his love by sending Jesus as a sacrifice to take away our sins, then these beliefs about God's love will translate into action. It's because God loves us so much that we ought to love each other. And loving others proves we know God. And so if I know that God loves me so much, that he has this ocean of love for me, and I know he has this ocean of love for you, well, then I ought to also love you. We need to love each other. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. And in this next section of verses, it continues on this idea of how God lives in us and he shows his love through us. So verse 13, and God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. And we live in God. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. And I want to pause there right in the middle of verse 17 to think about what this means for us. That God lives in us, that he has given us his spirit, but also that we live in God. And as we're in love, we're in God. And I think about John as this elderly disciple writing this to the church. John who touched Jesus, who ate with Jesus, who sat with Jesus, who experienced firsthand the love of Jesus. And now is writing this with urgency to the church that we would know, that we would comprehend, that we would understand this love that we now have. And when I think about this, I come to realize that it's not just me standing on the edge of the ocean with my little blue bucket, but I'm in the ocean. 
that God is in me and I am in him. And so now I am in the middle of this ocean of his love. I am overwhelmed by his love. I'm not standing on the outside looking in. I'm experiencing it firsthand. The height, the length, the width, the breadth, the depth of this love that God has for me. But then I want us to consider how often John talks to us. And he says, we, because we are so individualistically minded that I just picture myself in this great big ocean of love. And I forget about you, but it's us. We experience this love together. We experience this as a church, as the church. We experience it as a body, as the body, that it's us together in this ocean of love that God has for us. And so from this place of love, what do we have to be afraid of? And that's where it continues in verse 17. And it says, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence. We can face our God with confidence because we live like Jesus here in the world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. So we're like a pitcher of water and imagine dirty water in the bottom of a pitcher and then crystal clear water pours in and pours in and pours in and expels the dirty water until now there is only crystal clear water in the pitcher. His perfect love flows into us and flows into us. And the more we know and understand this love he has for us, the more the fear is pushed out. It's expelled out of us because of his love. If we are afraid It is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. So we're not afraid of his judgment. We face him with confidence. Perfect love expels all fear. And now we have a fearless love. All because of the love that we've been shown. But there's some questions that it leads us to. So we have to ask, have you fully experienced his perfect love? Or are you afraid? Are you afraid of punishment? And then are we living like Jesus here in the world? Well, as followers of Jesus, we are living like Jesus here in the world because Jesus had God's spirit resting in him. And we have the spirit of God that fills us, that is producing these good results, this good fruit in our life. And so now we love out of this place of being filled with his love, filled with his spirit. And so now we can live like Jesus in this world. Then finally, the last few verses here in verse 20, it says, if someone says, I love God, but hates God, A fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And as he has given us this command, those who love God must also love 
their fellow believers. Over and over in this passage, it tells us that we are to love one another. Verse 7, love one another. Verse 11, love each other. Love each other in verse 19. We can't love God and hate others. And it's a command to us. And so we think about the commands that we have from the Bible that Jesus told us of, of how we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our mind and all our strength and everything. We have our little blue sandpail of all our love for him, but how we're also commanded to love our neighbor. And so if we are in this ocean of love, if we encounter and experience this overwhelming love, this love that's given freely to us, this sacrificial love for us, then we can't experience that and have hate in our heart for others. So the good news for us is that we can love like God because Jesus has given us his spirit and God is love. And so the spirit of God, the spirit of love is in me. And so I'm filled with God's love. And God's love is being produced in me, transcendent love that is more than just simply chemical or biological. A spiritual love is in me. And so now I can love. I can live like Jesus in the world. Because of his spirit, we must love each other. And so the Holy Spirit produces love in my life. And if there's one thing I want us to hold on to today, it's that thought that the Holy Spirit produces love in my life, that I am motivated by love. I can have an attitude of love. I can live a lifestyle of love because his Holy Spirit is producing love in me. But that's not the only option that is available to us. And if we go back to our Galatians passage, where Paul is writing about standing, I think of it in, in a picture of standing at a fork in the road, where we can be led and directed by the Holy Spirit, that we can walk this road that leads to love, but how also inside of us is our sinful nature, and how we can be led by our own feelings our own desires by what feels right in the moment. And so we're standing with a choice in front of us about which direction will we go? Will we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us? Will we be directed by the Holy Spirit? Or will we choose to be in charge, to go the way we want to go? What choice will we make? The first line of Robert Frost's poem, uh, The Road Not Taken, is two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And this is where I picture myself standing. Two available options for me. And which direction will I go? The final stanza of that poem reads, I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference.
The Christian life is the road less traveled. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 7, where he said that we can enter the kingdom of God only through the narrow gate. And the highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many that choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. And so we have a broad road that is available before us, an easy road, and we feel the current of all those who choose to live according to their feelings, to love according to what their body is telling them to do. It's a broad road. It's an easy road. And there is a narrow gate, a narrow way, a harder road to walk that leads to life, that leads to love. But ultimately, the choice is ours. Which direction will we choose? The choice is yours today. And ultimately, as we make this choice, we need to stop and consider what road am I walking on? Is it an easy road or is it a hard road? Is it leading me to love or is it leading me to immorality, to lustful pleasures, to these opposite things? Because these roads, they diverge. And as we walk these roads, they get farther and farther from each other. And Paul, in Galatians chapter 5, in verse 24, he talks about how when we choose to follow Jesus, when we live this life filled by his spirit, how we are to crucify our sinful nature. We put it on the cross with Jesus. We die to that so that we can walk this narrow road, this hard road that leads to love, that leads to life. And so today... Two roads diverge in a yellow wood. Which road 